they were able to do it or at least get a lot of the steps. Some of them weren't sure on like the square root or how to officially work it out. But some of my classes completely got there. But when we sit back down and you give them a problem and they actually see just a right triangle on the page, they're like, well, what do you mean look for X? Like, what is this? Hey, hey, math moment makers. uh, On this episode, we are chatting with Nicole Witte about the importance of big ideas and intentionality when leading your math lessons. Yes. In this math mentoring moment episode, we're going to dig into how you can learn who heard what, as Lucy West would say, in your math lesson, why focusing on the intentionality of your problem-based math lesson will help make more connections Mm. during the consolidation and what you can do when some kids are supposedly getting it and others don't quite seem like they're ready yet. Let's do this. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers from MakeMathMoments.com who together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. Welcome, my friends, to another Math Mentoring Moment episode. Uh, Today, we're going to be hanging out with a fellow educator, and uh, we are in episode 160. John, if I do the math on that, that means we've passed like three full years of weekly episodes. That is uh, pretty fantastic. Uh, It was December. If you're listening to this the week it goes live, it's December. And it was a December, Kyle, if you remember when we were like, hey, you know what? We should start this thing. And we kicked out three episodes right at the beginning and uh, we never looked back three years later. Holy smokes. Who would have thought that we would have made it this far? But my friend, We have learned so much along this journey. We have had such a blast. And actually, as you're going to hear today with Nicole, she has been listening since the very first episode, which is so awesome. So just like Nicole, if you haven't yet, do us a huge favor and actually do all the other math moment makers from around the world a favor. Hit that pause button and go and leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're on, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're at, it really helps to ensure that we can continue building the Math Moment Maker community. Yes. So uh, we're not going to waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Let's chat with Nicole. Hey, hey there, Nicole. Thanks for coming on to the podcast with us, the Make Math Moments That Matter podcast. And our wonderful audience, I think, are going to be really, really excited to dive into another Math Mentoring Moment episode. So how are you doing? Where are you coming from? And can you give us a little bit of a backstory? Who is this Nicole that we're hanging out with tonight? Yes. Hi. So how I'm doing? I'm all right. I actually recently was sick with COVID for two weeks. So, you know, making it back into the classroom, but it's been awesome to be back. Like it was weird to be gone for so long and going back has just kind of made me remember like, oh, I am passionate about this. I love this job. (laughs) And I'm teaching actually in Houston, Texas. I teach in Cyprus in the Sci-Fair School District, but live closer to downtown Houston. So yeah. And a backstory about me is I teach geometry 
This is my fourth year of teaching. So I started at the same school. I've been with the school for four years now through all the crazy COVID stuff that we've experienced and whatnot. And I started off teaching Algebra 1, and that was my first two years. And now I've been doing geometry and shifted into some more pre-AP advanced classes as well. Nicole, we ask everybody the same few questions. As you know, you said you've listened to, before we hit record here, you said you've listened to a few episodes before. So the question we're going to throw at you right now is we ask everybody what their math moment is. If we think back to your, usually it's your childhood. It's like, as soon as we say math class, usually when we say that to people, it jogs a memory from a long time ago that says, this is what they remember about math class. I'm wondering what that is for you. So that one for me, I've thought about this a lot because I've been listening to the podcast since first episode. So I always think (laughs) about it. and, And there's one from when I was younger that pops to mind, but there's none that really feel like they shaped me, but the things that stand out are like when we were doing hands-on projects or more realistic ones. And I think the one that I decided on that really stood out to me the most was when we did a project, I think it was seventh grade with my math teacher, Mr. Torres. We did this project where you had something like a thousand dollars and they started off by teaching us how to write a check. And then you had a $1,000 and you had a catalog with things that were certain prices. And your goal was to spend as close to $1,000 as you could. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you had to revise it. Maybe you spent this money initially and you're like, wait, I need to rearrange it so I can have just $20 left instead of 30 And that just stood out to me because it was something that dealt with money that was realistic. And although you were buying like arbitrary couches or something, it just was fun to get that experience. We're kind of wondering like a thousand dollars, like I was trying to think like, what would I have bought at the time when I was in school? Uh, we're wondering. And a disc man, a disc man for sure. And a bunch of CDs. And probably like a Columbia house unlimited oh, subscription or something. I was a sucker for that, eh? I've never heard I of never that. did that. I, oh, oh, oh no, my that gosh. must be a Canadian thing. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Probably, you would have had something similar. It was like we got these things in the mail and it promised you for one dollar you could get like twenty-five CDs. But you oh, had yeah. to sign up to subscription, right? And it was like yes. as a kid, you thought this is the best deal ever, but then my dad's like, No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and here's why. Now you look <laughs> yeah. back, you're like a thousand yeah, I don't even know what would have been in the catalog. Like I was thinking it was furniture. I don't remember the specifics, but yeah, now I think what I get with a thousand dollars, like how much could you actually buy? <laughs> Super cool. And you know, normally you had already mentioned that you don't know if it necessarily was like had a huge impact or influence on, let's say your journey. But I'm wondering, has that moment influenced how you're teaching today, because you had mentioned and you were very specific about it, that it was like these sort of memories of like actual projects or things that were a little bit more hands on or maybe active learning type experiences. How does that sort of fit into how you're teaching in your classroom right now? I feel like I'm in this hard spot right now because I have a lot of big goals, but I'm still early on in my career. So it's hard to do this growth. So I'm not incorporating a lot of projects, but it's a desire that I have, especially in geometry. Some of my other like favorite memories are from geometry. We built a kite and had to do properties of quadrilaterals and we actually got to fly them in mini golf. So those, I think that along with like that checks hands-on project really makes me want to get my students involved especially for those that aren't necessarily 
just learners in a traditional sense, like ones that are more hands-on kinesthetic. And so I just want to get them engaged in that and get them thinking and like applying it to things that you actually see around. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Yeah, totally. And it's like some courses lend themselves better to that. And sometimes like, how do I, you know, bring these project based learning or these big projects that you can apply like all these concepts to? I've always been drawn to that as well and thinking about like, how can I? bring this in, especially for some of our classes where our streaming is, is students going to the workplace or students going to, into apprenticeship programs. I've always wanted to build a program just like that. That would be for the you know future John is going to think about that for a moment. But hmm. Nicole, I'm wondering what you are currently working on. Like what's a challenge or a pain point that you're struggling with right now and you want to kind of brainstorm with Kyle and I here on this episode. We'll brainstorm and kind of talk about what some next steps are, but hey, let's hear what the challenge is. Yeah. So something that I've been working on a lot is first off trying to find more geometry tasks. But the main thing is with my tasks, I'm really struggling with like how to tie it all together. So it's not super easy for me to articulate this, but I feel as if like students will do this task and it has to, a lot of times it's me coaching them with it, but they get to the end and they do all this math and they're like, Oh, like just some that come to mind or like the sinkhole task from Robert Kaplinsky with volume and they'll get to you and they're like, Oh, that's what volume is. Yeah. I need to do volume, not just area of a circle. Cause I'm filling a space that makes so much sense. And then they're like, Oh, I could find the area of the circle and multiply it by the height. And then they do all this rich work, but when it comes time to do our practices and or tests or something like that. So I'm in a school where everything's kind of planned for me. So when I have to veer back kind of towards that, I have a lot of trouble with like stripping the students kind of almost that math identity and all of that problem solving and work that they just did. So I give my explanation to help them. And it almost feels as if like all the work that they just did is taken away and they're just mm. lost again. Mm. I feel your pain because we've been there. And I think You'll always have to grapple with that no matter what. There's going to be these times where like, I feel like you'll be teaching and you sort of have these little mini revelations. Sometimes you think, Hey, I've got this under control. And then you say something and you sort of see the look on students' faces and you sort of go, Oh, maybe that wasn't what we needed to do next. And sometimes it's almost like Kathy Fosno calls it like we tend to rob the thinking of students often 
and we don't mean to. We're just trying our best to help and we're trying our best to make sure that they're sort of making sense of the math. So I'm wondering, like when you're in this process and students are solving the problems, what does that sort of look like and sound like as they're working? And then you were mentioning about the connections piece, um, just trying to kind of paint myself a bit of a picture of what that might look like and sound like. And like you said, it, it's sort of a, hard to articulate, I'm sure. But if someone's at home and they're thinking, what would it be like? And you could even use an example of maybe it's that sinkhole lesson from Robert Kaplinsky, or maybe it's something else that you've done recently. What would that look like and sound like just to kind of give us a bit of a backdrop? So as they're doing a task, I have white books. So I always have them up there. Sometimes they're sitting down, but I usually like to get them up. So it's just more low stakes emphasize like, hey, you have this dry eraser, you can erase it. So as they're Mm -hmm. working, a lot of times, I think something else that I've struggled with is how to set up the lesson appropriately. Maybe I just like jump into the task without necessarily all their prior knowledge. But so then as they're working, sometimes I have to coach them, but I'll have little prompts that I tell them, or I'll just ask them questions. I do a lot of questions throughout walking around. And then I love how you guys say like, hey, look over at other people. So I'll encourage that. But majority, so I recently did a task that it was from Dane Ellert. I'm not sure if that's how you say his last name. Yeah. Down in Waco. So near Mm me. And it was, he had taken this clip, I think from ESPN about a golf game or a golf tournament. And this guy hits it and the newscasters say, oh, they did a little A squared, B squared equals C squared. So I did that with my students. We talked about correcting the formula and then they got up and we're starting to like actually try and figure out the distance and coaching them through that. So they were able to do it or at least get a lot of the steps. Some of them weren't sure on like the square root or how to officially work it out. But some of my classes completely got there. But when we sit back down and you give them a problem and they actually see just a right triangle on the page, they're like, well, what do you mean look for X? Like, what is this? That it just says X there. I don't even know what that means. So it goes from this meaning to all of a sudden when it's just on the paper, they're like, well, I don't know even if I just solved something like that. So it's tricky to make that tie in. So I'm picturing they're working at the boards. Some of them are coming up with solutions. Some of them maybe need some next steps. I'm wondering, like, what does it feel like when some of the students have a solution and then some of them don't? Like, what are you doing about that? Like at that moment, is it like, hey, everyone come back to their seats? Or is it you go back to your seat when you're done? Like, can you kind of like zero in on that one moment where it's like, I gave them a task, they're working. You did your circulating, you did your kind of prompting questions. Because I think a lot of us who are teaching in this way do these things. We give those little prompts to keep kids going and keep them in the flow. And then we may have started it, you know, lots of different ways, but we're all at the boards working now. But like, there's a moment there that's like, you know, some kids have it. Like, what are you particularly doing around that moment? Yeah. So I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately. And I've been thinking about how I really like the episode where y'all talk about start small, because I think about how some students will give up so quickly. So having to keep them in the flow. And then like you said, some will finish it within like a minute or two, because we just have such wildly different students on wildly different levels. Mm. So it depends on the task. Often I try to go around and prompt them for more. And like, if they've finished, I'll often go over and say, are you confident in your answer? Talk about it with your group mates and come up with an explanation for this to prove it and or to justify it. 
So sometimes it looks like that, but then there have been times, I think with the, that most recent one I'd done with Pythagorean theorem, I was like, oh, okay, once you get it, like you can look around the room and then find your seat. And so it's been hard, like to know what to push them with and how to extend their thinking if they do finish early. Let's say they land at their seat. Is it now just like, hey, you did the problem that we were doing together. Now is the flow of your day of your lesson there. Here's the next stage. Like we got to practice this skill and here's some practice questions. And then you just keep going or what does that look like? So it's kind of different on every day. And especially since I have so at my school, like my schedule is made for me every day. My copies are made Mm -hmm. for me every day. And then like what I'm going to teach on that day is made for me, which is a blessing and a curse because you have some, I can have some wiggle room, but then I need to feel like I need to stick to that because we have seven other geometry teachers and students are constantly like switching. But often it looks like, so I haven't fully gained my confidence, I think, in asking the students to justify because as y'all know, so many students have such a fear of math and just like feel nervous about that or feel nervous about talking in front of the class. So sometimes I'll have them present, but usually that's later in the year. If a group is willing, then usually at the end, I will at least have one group discuss their solutions. And if they're not, then what I'll do is I'll have them tell it to me and I'll go through it. And so we'll kind of look at one or two of the solutions, but then usually it's like we will jump into maybe filling in some notes that's over that. Like, hey, let's talk about what this is. And then let's do a practice problem or so together. I usually just try to have them start on their own, though, rather than me work the problems for them. But we usually do like write a little bit about it. Awesome. Awesome. So there's a lot going on there. And it seems like you're in there. You're getting you're trying to push students for more. I liked how you were trying to sort of tease out some more thinking. I'm wondering, like, so when the problem is sort of we'll say, the room is feeling like, okay, we've come to some consensus. How are students sort of, are they given an opportunity to, you know, you had mentioned that one student before they went to their seat, like have a look around. Is there any purposeful connection making or anything like that? Are you doing a formal, let's say, consolidation where students sort of come and check out a a particular solution and certain ideas are drawn out? What does that piece look like? So kind of same, like it can be all over the place, but often I try to draw them in to look at one of the whiteboards or one of the white books and see this solution. And then sometimes I'll ask like other students, like, okay, do you see where this number came from? One of my favorite tasks that I actually just did today, but with a group of teachers is the in and out 100 by 100 burger. And so I did that one. And like, I always have them whenever I do it with students too, I say, okay, let's look at this one. Do you see any numbers on here that you did not have in your problem? So I like to ask questions such as that, like, can you figure out where this number came from? How is this similar to yours? But some tasks, I think, lend themselves to that more than others. Whereas like Mm -hmm. when I'm doing that Pythagorean theorem one, there's not really a lot of wiggle room. Like that one has pretty much just the one way that you can set it up. There are different ways to solve it, but students can get kind of lost. So sometimes I will have like the opportunity to show some off, but sometimes the work is just kind of like, not fully there. So I'll show a little Mm -hmm. bit, but then I extend the thinking to get there. Now I'm wondering like specifically to this Pythagorean theorem 
problem. And like you've already mentioned, I think every problem, every concept is going to be a little bit different, right? So it might not be a the same every time, but I'm wondering like with the Pythagorean theorem problem, have they already been introduced to that concept or is this something that they're kind of bumping into through the questioning or through the information, the limited information that they're given with that problem? Because you had mentioned with Pythagorean theorem, immediately what popped in my mind was that there isn't a whole lot of variety yeah. But is that because they already know the Pythagorean theorem? So they sort of like jump to maybe the algorithm or what might that look like and sound like? And like I said, I'm sure it's different depending on the concept, but I'm curious in particular about that one. That is a good point. I didn't really think about that. They are supposed to know the Pythagorean theorem, but for this year, especially mm-hmm. last year, they knew it a little bit more, but this year, especially, I'm pretty sure that that was supposed to be taught when the shutdown happened here. And so we went virtual, but we weren't allowed to require students to be there or really teach. So I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how many of them actually learned it. They've heard of it. All of them, when like the video came, I was like, oh yeah, that thing, A squared, B squared, C squared, something. So they've definitely heard of it. It wasn't brand new, like a discovery, like you might actually do with the area of squares. That's interesting because sometimes students have been introduced to an idea, you know, in prior years and it's coming back again in a future grade. So I'm wondering, in terms of when you're starting a problem, I'm wondering in terms of like how I kind of go back to John Hattie. I think it was John Hattie who was talking about this funneling versus focused mm-hmm. yes. sort of questioning. Or was that Peter? No. John, I don't know well, if you can help me with that. Well, no. That- Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, you know, there's certain types of questions where we kind of funnel them. And then there's other questions where they're more like focus, like it kind of, you're still asking a purposeful question, but we're not necessarily sort of like nudging them down a specific path. I'm wondering what sort of information might be given to students like, and and I guess my immediate wonder is when they go into a problem, typically, do they sort of already know that Like, do they already have the tools, quote unquote, maybe the strategies or the formulas or whatever it might be, or are the problems being presented in such a way where students can stumble upon the answer, but they might not necessarily make that connection? Because the reason why I'm asking that too is because you had mentioned about trying to make those connections at the end. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder how much room there students are doing to like inquire or investigate in order to kind of bump into a few of these things or how much of it is sort of like we've already pre-taught some of these ideas and now I want to give you this problem and see if you can like manage. Yeah. So I like that question because the Pythagorean theorem one definitely falls more into the category of like, I'm going to give you this problem and see if you can manage. I had not reviewed it with them. However, it was expected that it was prior knowledge and they'd Mm -hmm. seen it at some point. And that's kind of hard with geometry because most of our geometry curriculum, they have seen before, like the vocabulary they've learned it, the pictures they've seen and stuff like that. They know the different types of angles, like even all the way almost to corresponding angles. Mm -hmm. They just might not remember it. So with the Pythagorean theorem, it was definitely more of, hey, let's use this kind of as a review. And I think that's still 
partly where my comfort zone is as well with having a curriculum that's made for me and a schedule that's made for me. It's much easier for me to be like, oh, it's kind of this is a review. Let's do a three act task here. However, I have done some that are new to try and discover it, but it just feels like kind of scary. And you've had some episodes where I've heard some other people talk about this. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. It's not just me that feels like you're not alone. Don't Yeah. (laughs) So I like heard those and I'm like, oh, phew. Okay. But I've tried a few, like the um, the cookie cutter task. So I did one like that, and they had had some prior knowledge, but I don't think they'd ever seen anything really like that. And that one definitely took a lot longer. And then back to like the funneling and focusing, I think like especially with that task, where a task where it is something new, it just depends on the group for me. So some groups will get it like with just like a couple focusing questions, really easy. But then some of my students don't even write anything down because they just have no idea where to start, because they just have whatever their past was in math, they may not have any same level as the other students. So for them, sometimes I'll funnel more, but I it really depends group to group. And then also, yeah, based on the activity. Right, right. I want to head back to or kind of circle into this disconnect between like doing the task and then asking them to do another one, but it's slightly different, but they don't know how to make that connection. And I think think we have some suggestions here for you because I think we, Kyle and I were definitely in a place like that on our teaching journey with us always wanting to do a three-act math task or a problem-based lesson. And we wanted them to be at the walls and I wanted to see solutions and I wanted them to be engaged. And I was really, we were really focused there and we were really focused on the action happening. But I think what we got lost in is where the actual learning goal was. And so I'm wondering, like when you're being handed these lessons that you're running, is there any discussion? Like, what's the discussion about? Like, what is your the main learning goal of that particular lesson? Is it like written at the top? Or is it something that you like, you just intuitively know? Or is it something that you have to think about? What does that look like with this situation you're in? So learning goal for me or for the students or both kind of? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah, for the students, when you start a lesson, what are you hoping the students will pull from this lesson or learn during this lesson so that they walk out the door knowing X? So it's really interesting. I've never thought about that before, but we don't talk about learning goals. And I remember that one of the episodes y'all went more into depth about we need to focus on the goal. And just like what you said with being really excited about the action and trying to get students engaged and like losing sight of the goal, that episode really made me think. And then this question as well, because we don't discuss that very much. It's more like in our meetings, it's a lot of housekeeping, but we don't have a lot of planning meetings where we're discussing what we expect the students to learn. So what it looks like for me with what I'm expected for the students to know is 
it's like a note sheet with some fill in the blank usually, and it'll have the topic on there, or it'll have like the three types of problems that they need to know how to solve. And so then I'm expected to use that to teach them that. And often I don't use the note sheets. Like I go off on my own and I do either a task or just more inquiry based or problem based stuff. But that's what it looks like for me to get that goal for students. Like, hey, these are the three types of problems. Like what comes to mind is we just did angle addition. So there's one that's just basic angle addition, like this angle plus this angle gets you your total. You need to know how to do it when there's a bisector, an angle bisector with a total. And then you need to know how to do it when you're given an angle with just a bisector, but no total. So that's what it looks like when it's given to me and what the students are expected to know. Yeah. As soon as you had mentioned that, it really kind of struck a chord with me because I'm kind of going back to a lot of, you know, many years of trying to make the switch to problem-based lessons. And, you know, I was using lots of three-act math type problems and a lot of the math moment style problems that we've been creating and lessons. And something that I think was missing as I was trying my darndest to try to make this work in my classroom, and I think John would agree, is the intentionality of like, what do I want students to walk away with? And I still struggle with that. Like, it mm -hmm. takes a lot of thinking and it takes a yeah. lot of pre planning. And as soon as you can like take that time ahead and really think about what matters and really that's what I think it comes down to is like what really matters here? Because I go back to a lot of my old resources. I have these binders, you know, and every now and again, I'll just kind of open it up and kind of look and see what I had in there. And it was sort of like, you know, I heard you mention it, like trying to put in all the different types of examples or special cases or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. We tend to throw these out there. But it's like, for what? And really, yeah. my for what was always trying to ensure that I prepared, quote unquote, my students for like any possibility, like any curveball that could come their way, they're going to be fine with it. But it was more about them memorizing steps and procedures. And I now look and I start to think about the big ideas, like what do I really want them to know about Pythagorean theorem? And for me now, I see that in such a different way. I look at Pythagorean theorem as like a relationship, not just like an equation or not just this formula that we're going to fire numbers into and they're going to always get the right answer. It's like making sure that they see the relationship and they make sense of the relationship. And, you know, oftentimes a lot of this work as well, we learned from the five practices. That book yeah. has really helped us with like, trying to anticipate what students might do. Kathy Fosno's work has really helped me with that as well, is really trying to like think of how might students come at this problem? And then again, what is it that I'm hoping that they'll walk away with? And when we think about this intentionality, the piece that I find is really helpful is I start to see you know, and I start to like make sense of the different solutions I'm seeing and the consolidation, like what we're going to try to connect becomes a lot more clear ahead of time. And then, of course, some of that's happening in the moment as well. So yeah. it's not always perfect, right? Because some students will always come with something you didn't expect, right? But at least it's like you've got the big ideas there. And it's almost like you're hoping a student will try this method and that method. And even if a student doesn't try this 
third method, maybe that's the method you want to share and almost like share to them and say, I was thinking about doing it this way. And then giving them this opportunity to kind of look and make those connections. I heard you mentioning that, like trying to see, hey, do you see these numbers in your work or do you see this idea in your work? Really trying to get them to think about that. And then ultimately at the end of the day, like what are you hoping that they know now or feel more confident with now than they did maybe before they entered into that lesson. And the hard part is, of course, we would like them to take away all kinds of things, but Mm -hmm. like if you only could make it manageable, what is it that we want them to walk away with? And I find as soon as I start to at least start thinking about that, that helps me to start thinking about what is my connection, my consolidation going to look like and sound like? Like, what is it that I want to make sure that I draw out here so that students sort of go like, okay, that makes sense. Because another piece that we always seem to leave on the table in our math class was sort of assuming that everybody quote unquote got it or made sense of what happened. When in reality, some of the students there, they might've got a right answer, but they may not have actually understood what really happened. Like maybe they lucked out or, you know, their neighbor gave them a hint or whatever it was. And it's like to really make sure that they're kind of getting the big idea. And then from that, possibly giving them like a follow-up prompt that might be like something related to the context, but it could be completely different numbers just to kind of give them that second at bat. You know, it's like, okay, so you struggled through this problem. We've now sort of made these connections together. And now I'm going to give you this like slightly different, it's kind of like going back to my old notes. Like we'd give you this like different scenario and I want to see how you handle it now based on what you know. And what I find is like when we do this, students, like you learn so much about what students made sense of and what they're still not quite certain of. And that can really heavily help you with your planning the next day or even the next week, rather than say, just rushing on to the next topic. So I'm going to pause there and sort of get your thoughts on that. Cause I said a whole mouthful, (laughs) but you really gave me a kind of a light bulb moment as you were chatting. Yeah. So I liked that a lot. And I think that y'all mentioned that in the episode from last week, maybe about like that follow up prompt with a similar scenario or situation. And that's gotten me thinking a lot that I kind of just jump into like the basics, like what you expect to see on a math paper or on a math test, mm-hmm. rather than really tie it in at all. It's kind of like, oh, okay, we talked about this. Here's the method. Let's kind of move on to this thing that I'm a little bit supposed to do. So I really like the idea of coming up with the similar scenario to write that. And then it also just made me think like, it's so true, no matter what type of lesson you do, but especially with these, like if you ask students to share their scenarios, there's still some students even in that group, maybe there might've been one student kind of leading it that didn't get it. And it just made me think of like the students who are hiding and how that Mm -hmm. follow-up prompt can kind of pull them out. Cause there's so many times the next day I come in and I'm like, what did we do yesterday? Even like, like after that golf task and one student said, "Uh, I think we watched a golf game. (laughs) And like uh, the other students were like, I couldn't tell you what we did. And so Mm -hmm. I think it was two or three that said something about the math. So I love that idea that you said of that follow-up prompt to just kind of really drive that home almost in a way that's still engaging and related and like encourages thinking rather than just like, 
hey, here's this problem with a right triangle. You know to use Pythagorean theorem because I just told you. So go ahead and practice the steps I just showed you. So I like right, that idea exactly. a lot. Yeah. No, like what Kyle said, it, it's a good way to not only practice, but also what he uh, emphasized on like seeing who isn't, you know, grasping it at that time or seeing the big idea. But I think there's two big things you can be uh, thinking about here is like thinking about these huge ideas. The big ideas can also be, they could be all about problem solving, seeing the big picture, like Kyle suggested. But I think you could also have your big idea, your learning goal is to bridge that gap, right? Like we've seen the the idea, we've seen this relationship that we're unfolding, but we also could tie it to the calculation side of things. So I think you're still like, hey, we can progress into the note at the end of the lesson. I think that's still after the next prompt, the follow-up prompt, but then you can progress into the note. I think that's fine for you, but I think the bigger idea is to make sure like what is that one big idea for you and for that lesson and then make sure that what information are you going to get from your students that tells you they either got it or they don't got it right or they're on their way to understanding it or they don't and that's individually for each kid compared to like hey the whole class got it or because usually when i say that i'm thinking about four kids who got it but not everybody who got it so some takeaways there but also wanted to bring up that like Kyle and I are making tasks on a regular basis and putting mm-hmm. them on our website. And the tasks that we're making there almost they zero in on the intentionality. It's like we start there and then everything from that task and that unit unfolds those big ideas. So yeah. for example, when you go to look at one of those tasks and you head to the guide tab and you click on the intentionality, you'll see like we have a Pythagorean theorem one up there and it's a four day unit that unpacks area composite area, area of triangles, area of squares, how to find the root of a square, if you know yeah. its area and vice versa. And then where's this relationship between the side lengths of a triangle come out? Does it always work? Like it's a four day, full day unit. But if you look at the intentionality side of things, it starts with like, here are the big ideas. It's like translations, rotations, congruence. The Pythagorean theorem is in there. Yeah. However, that there's these other huge ideas that's really related to this one relationship that we look at with sides of triangles. So it's an important thing to definitely think about because you want to make sure you bring that out in that lesson. Yeah. Like this has got me thinking too. I mean, I like to blame it on the fact that I've taught different subjects at like the years and then it's like so early on, but I need to take like kind of the ownership and look at our standards. Cause when you're given everything, you don't really mm-hmm. think, Oh, let me go actually look. There has been a couple of times at the beginning of this year where I thought I've never known if I truly have to teach this like one little thing, like, does it necessarily say that I have to teach like segment addition when there's a midpoint and a total is given and only one of the pieces is given or something like that. So I think that's something important. Yeah. Moving forward that this has made me think about is I need to know what those big goals are for me so then I can translate that to the students as well. That's a huge, huge, big takeaway. And I know you're in year four. So congratulations to you for having mm-hmm. these thoughts so early for in sure. your career. Oh, I was you. in year four still scrambling to put as many words down on my yeah. note as possible and not really realizing that there was so much more to not only mathematics, but teaching mathematics. And clearly you are well on your way there. It sounds like you've got a a pretty active learning environment. And the part I love so much is that you're taking these chances and you're also being reflective about it as you go. And 
I think if you keep that sort of mindset and that sort of approach to teaching, you're going to continually get better and better at this thing. And uh, the beautiful part is, is that you can always get better. And I think that's what makes teaching so rewarding is, you know, as long as you stay on that journey, you're starting early, which is great. So uh, I'm a little jealous there, Um, but uh, (laughs) we are super, super excited that uh, you decided to come on here and, and have a chat with us. So before we go here, is there any like last takeaways that you want to share? Or I guess if there's one thing that you do take away from this conversation, what's sort of the big sort of takeaway that you're going to chew on and hopefully start thinking on as you plan ahead for your next lessons? I mean, there's so much, right? As usual, like every time I listen to these podcasts, I'm like, oh my gosh, how do they come up with just one takeaway? There's so much richness in this. But I think the one that's really stood out to me the most is that follow-up prompt. And that seems like such a, oh, of course, why would I not do that in such a doable thing? And then I just love that it really shows you where students are truly at. So I think the biggest takeaway for me is that when I do things like this, or even just like miniature kind of three-act tasks, to do a follow-up prompt to truly gauge where my students are at and get that feedback. And like, they can't hide amongst the others just to see did this get my learning goal through to them? Awesome. Awesome stuff to hear about that. Nicole, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Like Kyle said, uh, we wish you all the best. And I'm wondering, we usually uh, check in with folks, you know, in a year or a little less than that. We're wondering if you'd be open to coming back on and uh, chatting with us again and seeing how things have progressed or changed or and also get maybe another challenge in. Yeah, I would love to do that. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks again on behalf of the Math Moment Maker community, uh, your willingness and vulnerability to come on and share a common math task or math class struggle is huge and I'm sure so helpful for so many others around the world. So thank you so much. And uh, my friend, I hope we'll uh, get to chat with you sometime soon. Yes. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Have a great night. You too. As always, both John and I learned so much from these Math Mentoring Moment episodes. And I don't know about you, John, like mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. feel after we have to do all this deep thinking, like we're listening to the scenario, trying to make sense, paint a picture in our minds. It really leaves us buzzing with energy mm-hmm. and excited to dive into our next opportunity to do some math learning with students. But remember, you don't want all of this learning to wash away like footprints in the sand. So make sure that you're doing something to reflect on what you've learned here today. Yeah. And a great way to hold yourself accountable is to write it down or even better share it with someone, a partner, a colleague. Hey, get on over to the Math Maker community in a private Facebook group, uh, Math Maker's K-12, or we're on social media at Make Math Moments on Twitter, Instagram, all of those things. The other thing is, hey, we talked with a member of the Math Maker community, and they filled out a form to be on the show and talk about a big challenge. You can also be on the show, chat with us. You can get a that mentoring call with us where together we can brainstorm next steps on a challenge or a pebble in your shoes, as sometimes we say. You can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor to be on the show. 
Awesome stuff. And remember, show notes, links to resources, and complete transcripts to read from the web or download and take with you. Make sure you head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 160. That is makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 160. Well, until next time, Math Moment Maker friends, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.